I'm so excited to teach on the three heavens. This teaching um, gives you the paradigm for prayer. And let me give you a little bit of an of a overview um, for this. <laughs> you know, the enemy hates that we are learning how to pray because prayer is the most damaging thing you can do to the enemy. Uh, Guy H. King said, no one is a firmer believer in the power of prayer than the devil. Not that he suffers, not that he practices it, but he suffers from it. See, Satan hates when we pray. And when we learn to pray, we learn how to take our authority over the devil and his schemes. When we look into the scriptures, we find that Paul, um, when we talk about the third heaven, Paul actually had a third heaven experience. And this is why this teaching is called the three heavens. Because if Paul went to the third heaven, that means there is a second and a first heaven as well. And, you know, Paul was a brilliant scholar, but his life was also filled with supernatural encounters. And that's what I love about Paul. And I love about people that are, are deep theolog deep, deeply theological, but they're also, you know, having angelic encounters, they're casting out demons. Um, one of my professors in school said Paul was like, uh, a brain surgeon during the week and a deliverance minister on the weekends. He was brilliant, theologically sound and strong, but he was also walked in the power of God. Um, one, of the, one of the greatest Catholic scholars of all time, Thomas Aquinas, um, he had a supernatural encounter at the end of his life after he had written all of his theological treatises that uh, are rather boring in my opinion, but after he had this encounter, he said, all that I have written seems like straw to me. And in comparison to seeing heaven, you know, all of our, you know, theological work sometimes, we got to remember there is a supernatural realm out there. We should be theologically grounded. But to be theologically grounded means that you are operating in the gifts of the Spirit, that you have a powerful prayer life, that the sick are healed when you pray for them, the devils get cast out when you command them to go, and there's fire in your life, there's supernatural happenings. This is normal Christianity. It's not a head of faith, it's a heart faith. And as a believer, um, you know, I love what Jesus said. He said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. So you don't have to have a theological deg degree to do the works of God. Sometimes actually those things can be the very thing that hinders you. And so we never put our weight in, in our minds, it's in our spirits. And we always have to be like little children when we come to the Father. And as I teach you on prayer, I hope that's your heart, that you, you're not someone that says, hey, I know everything, or even I'm gonna teach you on the three heavens today. And you know, just because you know something, Sometimes our knowledge of things keeps us from being hungry and pursuing more. Never get to the place where you think you understand everything. Um, always be challenged. Always be ready for the new wine. Always be open to say, God, what are you saying? You know, study his word, be a Berean, but at the same time, stay like a little child. But this is Paul's experience. He says this, he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Like I said this before, if there was a third heaven, that means there must be a second and first heaven as well. And he says this, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but God knows. Most scholars believe that Paul was actually this man, but he was humble and he was not expressing, hey, y'all, I, I had a spiritual encounter, I went to heaven. Um, you know, most, most of us would probably post it on Facebook the next morning, but Paul happened to not even write about it 
for 14 years. That says a lot about his character. He says, I know that this man was caught up in the paradise, whether in body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows, and he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. So he was actually taken up into the third heaven, and we'll talk about this realm. This is actually the, the realm of the throne of God and the realm of paradise that Paul was caught up into. Man, anything God has done anywhere, he can do here. Anything God has done at any time, he can do now. And anything God has done through anyone, he can do through me. So do you want a supernatural encounter like that? I do. I think that would be awesome. Um, and when we, when we look into the, the scripture, we see that um, the idea that Paul was caught up, it's a Greek word, arpagenta. And it means to seize, snatch away, to make off with someone's property by attacking, to steal, carry off, or drag away. Um, the verb that describes Paul being caught up, it defi defines a violent, sudden encounter that would leave one stunned, trembling, and speechless. So this was not just in some encounter that Paul, like, you know, the angels came and floated. Oh, I mean, this was, a, this was something that was like, oh, you know, he got pulled up into the third heaven. Um, when he describes this, it's, it's the same word that is, is said of plundering armies, thieves, and wild animals. So this is an, a violent encounter that Paul had, and he's describing how he was caught up into the third heaven. And I think we, we need to understand that when God moves and when God you know, touches us, it may be violent sometimes. It, it will be, you know, when people say, I had an encounter with God, and I, I'm like, well, you look the same as you did before, you know, be like saying, hey, I had an encounter with an 18-wheeler. I mean, you would, you would see the difference. It's the same way with God. When you have an encounter with him, it's going to be radically life-changing. It's going to shift who you are. And that's what we want to talk about today as we talk about the third heaven, the three heavens. Um, and this teaching, it'll break the heavens down to the, the third heaven. And the second heaven will define that, which is usually the place of angelic warfare, the place oftentimes where our prayers are held back. And then the first heaven is seen as what we see in the physical realm. So there's a little uh, chart here. Um, the third heaven is the throne of heaven. And I love Psalm 84.1, no good thing does he withhold whose walk is blameless. So like God is not withholding answers from us. I believe the moment that we pray, God releases those things that we cry out for, that we seek him for. But as they come through the second heaven, I believe that's the demonic realm or the angelic realm where often things are held back with our prayers. And so we like, we ask God and he didn't, it almost seems like, well, he didn't give it to us. Well, maybe he did give it to us, but there's some angelic demonic activity right now holding back that answer. And then the first heaven is the actual physical realm so that our prayers go from the third heaven down to the first heaven. That's, that's what we're praying for. And again, um, we are pulling what was in heaven to earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, you know, it says in Matthew 16, 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth, which is the first heaven, will be bound in heaven, the second heaven. And whatever you loose on earth, the first heaven, will be bound and will be loosed in the second heaven. So I think in our prayer times, we're just, we're, we're praying to the Father and those answers are coming, but we're patiently expecting, we're staying in that mode of, of uh, receiving what God has given us in that place of faith, um, perseverance, trust, God, we know you're gonna do it because that's who you are. 
And that's what we want to get to in this place of prayer. But as we talk about the first heaven, and we're going to read the very first scripture in Genesis. And I want to point something out that you may have not seen before. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now notice that heavens is plural. So it's not God didn't create heaven and earth. He created the heavens, which means that there's more than one heaven. Interesting. Um, Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims its handiwork. So the first heaven is what we can see with our natural eyes. Um, you know, the way we know whether something is, is supposed to be, we're praying for something, God's will, uh, we know that, let's say someone is sick. I know that sickness is not in heaven, so I'm praying your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's no sickness in heaven. Um, you know, people say, oh, God got me sick. I'm like, Job, no, I'm saying God can't give sickness because he doesn't have sickness. There's no sickness in heaven. So we know that when I see sickness on earth, I'm saying your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And what we see in the natural realm is what we're going after. And it's important, you know, oftentimes we read in 612, uh, Ephesians 612, uh, most of our translations um, say this, and uh, that there's one translation I want to bring to mind, because sometimes I think people only, you know, think that our conflict is never in the first heaven, that we never have conflict with people. And I, I don't think that's a correct teaching. And oftentimes people can't, they quote Ephesians 16 for our conflict. For our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but with angels and powers and rules and authorities and evil spirits under the heavens. And sometimes, you know, we always say, well, you know, our battle's not against flesh and blood. You know, we're having problems with a person. And we just kind of say it's all spiritual. Well, I want to, I want to counter that thought because you'll find countless times in the Bible, Paul's dealing with people that have conflict with him. Um, uh, John's dealing with people that are having conflict with him in the, in, the, in, the, in the New Testament. And he's describing these struggles because the Aramaic version says that our conflict is not only with flesh and blood, but also with the heavenly realms. And so when people quote that, I'm always like, well, I, you know, we do have struggles with people. I think that's normal, but it's not only with people. I had one professor tell me, he said, you know, we don't believe there's a demon behind every bush. He goes, it's just every other bush, you know, and that's the way life is. We, there's demonic stuff happening, but sometimes it, it really is people in the first heaven that are actually causing us trouble. So the first heaven is the natural realm. And we're praying from the, our, the first heaven, we're, we're praying to the father who's in the, on the throne in the third heaven. And the the answered prayers have to go through what we call the second heaven. And, you know, Jesus said to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we understand what the will of God is by understanding what's in heaven. There's no demons in heaven. So we know someone's dealing with something demonic. We know, Father, we declare in Jesus' name for this demon to go. There's no demons in heaven. So we know there shouldn't be a demon inside this believer or, or attacking this believer says this, he's, uh, Hebrews says this, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. It's important that we are in belief. And that's what faith is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. Belief is, is seeing into that third heaven realm and then praying it into the, the, the first heaven realm. 
seeing it in the spiritual realm, but then praying it into the physical realm. So we live by faith, not by sight, not by what we see, not by what we see in the first heaven. It's what we see in the third heaven that is where our belief is. And so, you know, that's why we're called believers because we actually believe something and we can't believe it if we can see it. That's just, they're total opposites. If you can see it, it requires no faith. But you and I are believers. And so what we see in the third heaven, we need to pull into the first heaven. And that requires belief. So the second heaven is the middle ground between heaven and earth. It is the place of warfare where the angelic realm and the demonic realm engage. So it, it's kind of like the idea, like I go and let's imagine I go into a restaurant and I have, you know, three of my children with me and we all order uh, the waitress comes and she seems like a, a real nice, you know, waitress and she's real sweet and kind. And I say, you know, I want, I want a piece of bread and, and, um, and I want a fish, you know, and I want an egg. Let's say that that's what we order a bread, fish, and egg. Okay. And that's what our goal is here. And so when, when we see that in the second heaven, uh, is like a picture of the waitress is kind of like a picture of the one who's supposed to deliver the answer from the third heaven or from the kitchen. And so let's say that I order, I order bread, fish, and egg. And you know, this really nice waitress seems really sweet. She goes, thank you. That's your order. She takes it back into the kitchen. But a few moments later, instead of getting a bread, a fish, and an egg, the waitress brings out um, a stone, a scorpion, and a snake. And, and it doesn't, it's, that's not my waitress. And so what are we going to do? You know, I might tell my kids, okay, that's what we got. That's what the kitchen sent us. So here, hun, you know, son, here, eat the rock. And he's chewing rock. And the other one's trying to kill the snake and is biting him. And the other, you know, my other son is getting bit by the scorpion. Dad, we didn't order this. We didn't order this. You know, and then they're suffering over there. Instead of going, wait a second, you know, that's not what I ordered. I ordered bread, fish, and an egg. And, you know, and this person who delivered it, was not an angel, but it was something in the demonic realm trying to deliver me something I ordered. And I got to know, like in prayer, that faith is knowing that God exists, Hebrews eleven six, and that he rewards those who dil diligently seek him. So sometimes when you're praying, the enemy may come and try to give you uh, something that you didn't order. Then you just send it back. That's what I do. Send it back. That's not what I ordered. And but many Christians will just receive whatever comes, you know, que Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. No, that's not a Christian song. That's, that's a defeatist song. We've got to say, no, in the name of Jesus, send this back. I ordered, this is what I ordered. See, the goal of prayer is answered prayer. And we can expect the Lord to answer us when we pray in faith and believing in, in our God and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. And so that second heaven is that middle ground. First heaven is the physical realm. The second heaven is the place of battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And the third heaven is paradise, the place where the throne of God resides. And one of my prayers every day is that I'll have throne confidence. I'll be able to go for the God, go before the Lord and receive what he wants to give me. God wants to, me to come boldly before him, not as a beggar, but as a son or a daughter, knowing my place in the kingdom that was purchased for me by his son, Jesus Christ. Now, one of the clearest pictures of the third heaven paradigm here, the three heaven paradigm, is found in the book of Daniel. And Daniel is, um, he was a, a young Jewish man when the Babylonians came into Jerusalem 
took him captive and brought him back to the kingdom of Babylon. So he was just a, a young guy uh, taken away, a teenager. And then he was brought to Babylon and he was made into a eunuch. Most people don't know that, but in the Bible, it, it actually says David was a eunuch. That means he had you know, uh, no hope of ever being married. And you could only, be a, you could only serve a king if you were a eunuch. Um, so you're basically um, castrated, not a very pretty thought to talk about, but that's what Daniel was. He was a, he was a eunuch. And so he was, he was brought into uh, the king of, uh, under the king of Babylon. He was made one of his wise men. And um, we, I love the story of Daniel because he's not the man in charge, but he's second in command. And because he's second in command, God uses him mightily to influence um, the four kings that he serves underneath. But um, when David was taken, or sorry, when Daniel was taken captive from Bab into Babylon, from Jerusalem, there was a prophecy that was made that the Jews would be in exile for 70 years. And that was made by Jeremiah. And so this is after Daniel had been in Babylon for almost 70 years. And so Daniel is actually reading Jeremiah 29. And it says this, for it says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back into the place. So when, when 70 years had, had come to pass, Daniel, who was now in Babylon, read the words of Jeremiah and he began to pray and say, God, you know, you said through the prophet Jeremiah that we would return to Jerusalem after 70 years. And he began to intercede for that. And it's, that's exactly what we do. We find God's words and then we put our faith in those words and we begin to pray them through. Father, you said that in 70 years we would return and we thank you for those promises and we claim them and we call them forth. And um, so we read this in Daniel chapter nine. And again, if you wanna uh, see the three heaven scheme, um, scheme or the paradigm, this is one of the, the clearest pictures we have in the Bible. It says this, that I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So he had an understanding. So that's why it's important that we have an understanding of God's word before we pray. We know what to pray for. If someone is, is sick and they want to live, man, I'm all, I'm, I know for a fact that God wants to heal them and he longs to heal them. I'm going to pray a healing prayer over them. I'm not going to say, Lord, if it's your will, would you heal them? That's not even in, that's not in, that's not a biblical way to pray. A biblical way to pray is to, and we're not even called to pray for the sick. We're called to heal the sick. I just understand that's the healing power that is on our lives is to heal the sick. And I believe that. And I know that. So that makes uh, my actions effective and prayer is supposed to be effective. And Daniel understood Jeremiah's words so he could pray with faith. And that's what the word does. When we study the word, it causes faith to rise up in us so we believe it and we can speak it and declare it. And that's what uh, this course is about, disturbing the present through prayer. He goes on to say, then he continued, um, this is an angelic visitation here. The angel Gabriel comes and visits him. Um, and some of you are going to begin to have angelic encounters. It's going to be awesome. Some of you are going to have encounters with the Lord that are just like Paul had. You're going to be caught up into the third heaven and you're going to be stunned and speechless. And it's going to be awesome. And I can't wait for those testimonies. But an angel came and visited Daniel and he said, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding 
and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. Now, this is awesome. And this is so encouraging because what did Daniel have? He said, you, he set his mind to, to, for the understanding. And this is where we have to have the understanding of what the word says about our lives, who we are, the authority that we have. But then it says he humbled himself. And humility is having dependence on God. And that's what prayer shows. God, I, I, I need you. I'm dependent on you. People say, well, you know, God's just a crutch to you. No, he's not a crutch to me. He's my entire life support system, friend. So we have to, when we go to prayer, we have understanding, we have humility. And it says, I love it. The first day you set your heart to do that, you were answered. So in the third heaven, your prayer was released. You were answered. But what it says, but the prince of Persia, of the Persian kingdom resisted me for 21 days. So we see what happens is Daniel prayed on the moment that he prayed, says by the first day, God answered his prayer and his prayer is descending through the second heavens. But it says, then the prince of Persia resisted me 21 days. So Gabriel is being resisted. Gabriel is, is the messenger angel, um, same angel that uh, told Mary the news about uh, her to become the mother of the Messiah. And so Gabriel's the messenger, messenger angel, but in the second heaven, there's been a hindrance by the, uh, what we believe is a principality of the Persian kingdom. And notice that there was a resistance for 21 days. So again, look at our chart. So God answers in the third heaven, but it's the 21 day resistance. And I think it's fascinating that 21 days, um, psych, uh, people who do, uh, doctors who do plastic surgery, they tell all their patients after they work on them that even though, you know, let's say you got a nose, nose job or something, they said your nose will still look the same for about 21 days because your mind still sees yourself as you were. It has a picture of who you are. And that picture will take 21 days to actually cause that transformation to happen. 21 days. They also, many people say it takes 21 days to kick a habit. Think about that. Like there's a spirit. There's a spiritual authority about the number 21. Uh, the, the, the journey from the promised land, uh, from Egypt to the promised land, many people say it was 21 days. Many scholars say. So there's, there's this idea that there is sometimes we need patience and perseverance. And it's, it sometimes takes time for your prayers to be received um, into the first heaven, to be revealed in the first heaven. And Gabriel was, was held back by another demonic power. And then it goes on to say in Daniel 13, 14, 10, uh, 13 and 14. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. So what had to happen is that as the prayer was being released from the third heaven into the second heaven, what we find is that Michael, another angel, the, the warrior angel, angel came to actually free Gabriel from the, uh, from the authority or from the hindrance that the, this other demonic en entity was causing. And Michael was able to get it so that the prayer was actually answered. So when you're praying, I think it's, I think it's important that we um, go back and realize that we're in, in this mindset. You're in the first heaven. You and I are in the first heaven. That we need to make sure if there's any pride, ignorance, 
um, corporate sin, sins of the fathers, personal sin, unbelief, you know, don't let them be any hindrances to you receiving from God. And then pray with authority. I think it's vital. We go through our declarations every day that um, on our app, you find the 10 declarations making over your life. So that kind of clears the air so that when you pray, there's nothing that is, you know, the heavens are open. Jesus opened up the heavens. The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus. The the heavens were open and the Holy Spirit descended. That's the, the Bible never talks about the heavens being closed. So we wanna walk in that open heaven, clear the air so that we have answers from the third heaven uh, to our lives. Again, no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. God doesn't hold back from us. He wants to bless us, but there is uh, and there can be demonic hindrances in the second heaven that we need to break through. I wanna tell you, just kind of finish this session with the story of Cornelius. Cornelius was a, a, a Roman centurion, which means he, he was in charge of a hundred soldiers. And uh, he was, the Bible says that at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household and gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. Now, what makes Cornelius uh, distinct in the Bible is he was the first uh, Gentile to experience salvation and speaking in tongues and a move of the spirit in his family. And this is uh, because Peter was miles away, had this heavenly encounter. He, Peter, uh, the disciple of Jesus had this in, in this you know vision, saw this vision, and God told him that you know don't call unclean what I've made clean in this vision in this dream. And Peter, when he heard about Cornelius, then he recognized that that's what the dream meant was that we shouldn't call the non-Jewish people unclean anymore. And because God was going to begin to move in salvation with the non-Jewish people, it's odd because today. We, we don't see Jewish people as being able to be saved by Jesus, um, but we accept that non-Jewish people are going to accept Jesus. When the early church, it was kind of the opposite. The, non, the Jewish people were like, yeah, we have Jesus, but the non-Jewish people are like, can they have Jesus? So it's kind of backwards. But I want to look at how Cornelius got his breakthrough. He was a devout man. And this is what we want to train you in this course, how to be devout, devoted, thorough, consistent, and effective in your prayer. He feared God with all his households. So what's it mean to fear God? It means that, you know, to have the fear of God means all other fears are crushed in your life. If you fear the Lord, you can't fear man because you fear God greater than anything else. The fear of man, the fear of losing your reputation, the fear of loss, the fear of death, anything, because you fear the Lord. And it says all his household feared the Lord. We also see that he gave alms generously. He was a generous person. He had compassion on the poor and he loved the Jewish people. I think that's key that we need to be in alignment with Israel and blessing Israel and loving Israel. And the Bible also says that Cornelius prayed continually to God. There was, there was a devotedness about him. And I love this statement because it says, generosity mixed with prayer brings heaven to earth. And this is a great moment for me to talk about giving. <laughs> if you are holding back uh, what, you know, what belongs to God in your finances, the Bible calls that the tithe. And the tithe is actually a, a portion of your income that belongs to the Lord. It's a tenth. 
And biblically, the tenth represents that which belongs to God that's in my possession that I return to him. I give to his household. And it's a powerful picture of being generous and faithful and devout. And the tithe is a very powerful concept that we see that there were 10 cities that were, um, that were taken in the promised land, but the first one was to be completely devoted to the Lord. And I believe that idea, that 10th principle is very profound over your finances. That if you give to God what is rightfully his, that 10th, of, of the finances that you um, earn, that it shows that God, I am giving back to you what is rightfully yours. And then the rest of the other 90% of your finances will be blessed. And so um, when we look in the promised land, they had to give the first 10th to the Lord so that they could receive the rest of the land and be victorious. And I believe that, uh, you know, I would rather have 90% of my finances full of God's blessing than 100% without. And this is the way Cornelius lived. He was generous and he was a praying person. And so look at your giving statement. And man, I'll tell you, that will add to the power of your prayer. You may think that's crazy. No, it's biblical. And those two forces joined together will bring heaven to earth over your church, over your community, over your life, guaranteed. So this is what happened about the ninth hour of the day. He saw clearly in vision, an angel of God came in and said to him, to say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. So, so Cornelius has this visitation, this angelic visitation. And, um, you know, anything God has done anywhere in the Bible, man, he can do it again. Like, where are the angelic visitations? I mean, if I told you right now I was visited by an angel, you'd probably think I was crazy. You'd probably think I have a, a, a you know, shoebox of aliens uh, underneath my bed or something. And I don't. They're in the closet. Um, anyway, bad joke. But it's the whole idea that there is angelic activity happening. And Cornelius has an angel come to him and it says, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And the idea of a memorial is something that that Cornelius built through his giving and through his prayers that caused heaven to come to earth for him. Isn't that awesome? And so like, continue to be faithful in your giving and your prayers because it's building for some. What did it build for Cornelius? It caused him to have an angelic encounter that brought him and his family salvation. And again, salvation is not just forgiveness of sin. The Greek word sozo means to heal, to make whole, to forgive, to deliver and to heal. It means all of those things together in one word. And we can expect that as we pray because the Lord does not withhold anything. He is not holding back from you and he wants to release to you. But there is that second heaven, uh, demonic, angelic activity that we need to be aware of. And we can see that when we have a memorial before God, it releases heaven to earth. There's a... The only other time I think in the Bible it mentions this memorial offering, it's interesting because it says the priest shall burn it as a memorial portion, some of the crushed grain and some of the oil with all of its frankincense. It is a food offering to the Lord. Frankincense is a very powerful incense. My wife uses it all the time for her health and it's just got a beautiful fragrance. And one of the things cool about fragrance is it is long lasting. 
there were archaeologists who broke into some of the tombs um, in Egypt and they found frankincense in these ancient Egyptian tombs, thousands, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years old. And when they opened up the tombs, the uh, people had put frankincense in these ancient tombs to keep the smell down. And when the archaeologists opened up these tombs, they could still smell the frankincense. Isn't that amazing? That's how powerful and lasting fra frankincense is. And this is what Cornelius was said. He goes, you have created a memorial offering before the Lord, something that will not be forgotten, something that will continue on forever and ever and ever. And it brings blessing to him. And some of you today, you have, uh, you have parents and grandparents and great-grandparents parents who have faithfully served the Lord and their prayers are still like frankincense. <laughs> they haven't stopped um, creating a memorial and answers for you in your life. Some people look at, they're so blessed, but I recognize because they had go a godly heritage. But you and I, if we can provide that for our children and our great-grandchildren through prayer, that we can create this continual uh, smell like frankincense throughout our lives, our children's lives, our grandchildren, our great-grand, they'll go on forever and ever and ever because our prayers are powerful. And I want to give you that encouragement today that like Daniel knew the word of God, he prayed from the first heaven um, and he persevered through the 21 day wait till his prayers were answered. And like Cornelius, he had a memorial before the Lord through his prayers and his giving. And it was like frankincense. And it, I want to close with this statement by E.M. Uh, e. Bounds. And he says this, he said, God shapes the world by prayer. Think about that. God shapes the world by prayer. Through our prayers, we're inviting the Lord in to have authority and do his work here on the planet. We're co-laborers with God. Ian Bound says this, prayers are deathless. The lips that uttered them may be closed to death. The heart that felt them may have ceased to beat. But prayers live before God and God's heart is set on them. Prayers outlive the lives of those who uttered them. They outlive a generation, outlive an age, outlive a world. That man is the most immortal who has done the most and the best praying. Friend, I want to thank you for joining us in the session four on disturbing the present. My prayer is that you'll continue to listen. You can listen to the audio version of uh, this chapter. Just download it. Um, follow through on your workbook and your work the, on your worksheets. Answer the questions. Um, what you're doing is you're developing your prayer life so you can have thorough, effective, and um, you know, consistent prayer throughout your life because your prayers are something that will continue before the Lord and bring heaven to earth. Hey, I'm Chris Monahan. Thank you for joining me today in session four on disturbing the present through prayer. We'll see you on the next session. God bless. Thank you.